Welcome to another broad podcast from Arlington Baptist Church. We're glad that you're joining us this afternoon. I'm going to today uh, get back to some teaching. We've enjoyed having several of our members the last few episodes, but I want to go back to uh, the subject of salvation and kind of branch off of that and deal with some issues that uh, associated with salvation. We presented a series called The Seven Essentials of Salvation uh, just a few weeks ago. We finished that, but I want to uh, occasionally go back to certain subjects that uh, to me are so important. Uh, they're key issues of the Christian life. They're key issues for our church. They're really issues that are on my heart all the time. And one of those is the subject of evangelism. Uh, the Bible teaches it thoroughly, how that you and I as Christians were called by Christ to go through His churches and to reach the world with the gospel, to see people saved and baptized and brought into the church to be taught uh, the Word of God and grow in their faith. Uh, but today I want to uh, kind of look at a specific area of evangelism that is really close to my heart and one that I have a real burden for, and that is the subject of child evangelism or the salvation of children. Now, I know just at the out, outset that this is a very emotionally charged issue. Nothing should be more important to any of us as parents, as grandparents like I and my wife uh, are grandparents now. Nothing's more important than seeing our children, our grandchildren saved. Children are precious to God, and, and so they should be precious to all of us. And their salvation ought to be of the utmost importance. And so as we go into this subject today on our, our episode, I want to just start out by saying how important it is for people to be saved and to make sure that they're really saved. Now, I want to just already start by saying I'm very concerned uh, about the uh, shallow approach to child evangelism that has been taken for many decades, it seems now, uh, even in churches uh, like my own uh, in the Independent Baptist movement, but uh, I see it in many other churches as well, and it is a really big burden that I have. I think it's unscriptural. I think it's dangerous. I think it is uh, hurting our churches and hurting the Christian faith uh, by more and more young kids being pushed into making decisions uh, for Christ when I don't believe they're ready for those decisions, and I don't think the Bible teaches that we should be approaching uh, our kids' salvation like so many are today. Now, I, I understand uh, right off the bat that it's hard to change anyone who's been taught a certain way uh, for much or all of their life. Uh, so I know I'm going against the grain here with, with position I hold. It's probably not the majority position right now. That's sad to say. Uh, but I do believe years ago uh, in former generations, back in the 1800s and even earlier, that our churches, sound biblical churches, uh, looked at child salvation, child evangelism in a lot more thorough and cautious way than we are today. And so uh, this is kind of where I'm coming from. Um, now, I have to say on the outset that there's <clears throat> limitations that we all have 
about salvation. We know that while the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, we understand that whosoever has to mean certain people that are able uh, to be saved, that are of an intellectual capacity, uh, old enough to understand certain truths in order to embrace them and be saved. No one would say that uh, that word whosoever would include infants or uh, a person that's mentally handicapped or unable to understand the gospel uh, if their limitations mentally would, would forbid them to do so. So we all believe in certain limitations, okay? Now, I think the key issue in dealing with child salvation or evangelism is, number one, we've got to make the Bible the authority. What does the Bible say not only about salvation in general, as we talked about for seven weeks in our series on the seven essentials, but uh, generally, what are the examples of salvation the Bible gives? Uh, it doesn't matter what so-and-so says. We can't use anecdotal or stories uh, of certain people to say, well, I believe I was saved or so-and-so was saved at such an age. Well, we can't make so-and-so the standard. The Bible has to be the standard. It doesn't matter when a person thought they were saved or when they might claim they were saved. Their testimony or their uh, view of salvation based on their own experience or someone else's experience cannot trump the Scriptures, cannot come before the Bible. Because if that's the case, then human experience uh, comes before Scripture and we can't really believe the Bible is the final authority. We'd have to accept Mormonism, in other words, who, that believes that all you have to do is ask God to give you this burning in the bosom, this, this knowledge in your mind that Mormonism is true, and, and that ought to make you believe it. Um, that, of course, we know is false. So experience cannot come before truth. In fact, the Bible warns us against trusting in our own heart. The, the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 26, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Jeremiah told us the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? So all arguments uh, on the side of supporting uh, child salvation at very, very young ages. And what I'm saying is there's people who, who believe they were saved at three and four and five years old, and, and you hear that testimony rather frequently anymore. I just don't think it's biblical. Uh, I don't think the Bible supports it. <clears throat> and there are no examples in Scripture of young kids being saved. Let me just say that right up front. Uh, we are treading on very thin ice to make a case for child evangelism when there is no such example in Scripture that you'll find. Now, one other area that has to be really added right up front here that makes the whole idea of child evangelism uh, very important to understand and to be careful about, and that is that false conversion is taught in the Bible. Uh, you may not be familiar with that phrase, however you might phrase it. it, simply means that the Bible teaches there are people who think they're saved and are not. Uh, this example is shown many, many times and in many scriptures. Uh, Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in those very famous words, many, let me read it, I'll get to my scripture so I don't misquote it. J Jesus said, many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord shall... Uh, he says, not everyone that saith unto me, let me read it exact, Lord, Lord shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven, 
but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. John, in 1 John 2.19, said it this way in a very clear verse. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that they were not all of us. What's John saying there? When people would leave the churches in that early period of church history, in the churches John uh, was a part of, and they would give up their faith. What was it showing? That they weren't saved to begin with. There's many conditional verses in the New Testament. If we continue in our faith, then are we saved. Judas Iscariot, perhaps the greatest example of false conversion. He followed the Lord, was an apostle among the twelve for three and a half years or so, but on the night of the the arrest of Christ, the betrayal of Christ, he showed his true colors. Remember the man uh, Simon in Acts 8. He joined along with Philip at the, uh, at the preaching of Philip in Samaria. And it says he believed and was even baptized. And yet when Peter and John came down, he wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you read the text, Peter indicates he was never saved. He said, you have no part in this matter at all. Remember Jesus' parable of the seed and the sower? Out of that parable, only one seed fell on good ground, the fourth soil. The first three soils, they were not believers at all. They showed some immediate what looked like proof of, of Christianity or salvation, but it had no root. It was choked by the cares of this life. And I could go on and on, but simply to say, the fact that false conversion is taught clearly in the Scriptures, ought to give a very uh, serious warning to pushing or prodding or, or propping up anyone's salvation, and especially in this manipulation of little children to be saved. I think it's very dangerous. One other point I could bring up uh, about the times we're living is that is the apostasy that the Lord predicted. He predicted in scriptures such as Second uh, Timothy 4, Second uh, Thessalonians 2, several others. I won't go into these deep. That's not the message or the meaning of this uh, podcast episode. But just to say, we're living in a time of a falling away. The, the word apostasy means a repudiating or giving up of the truth, a falling away from the truth. And being that we're seeing great evidence of that apostasy all around us, that ought to make us even more careful and cautious how we deal with anyone's salvation, especially a delicate heart of a young child. Now, let me go into my main biblical reasons for my position, which is one that teaches that we should be extra cautious and thorough when it comes to the salvation of any young person. Now, let me say right up front on my in this point of the podcast that I don't think anyone could put a age limit, a, a, a year, a date on someone's life of when they could be saved. I don't think that's possible. Um, I will say that in the Old Testament, if you remember the story of the children of Israel uh, going, into Kad- uh, going into the promised land from Kadesh Barnea and rejecting the report of Joshua and Caleb, remember what God said? This is an interesting truth. 
He called 19 years and under, the, the children of these people of Israel, 19 and under, he said, I'm not going to hold them accountable for your sin of unbelief and not going into the promised land when I told you to. And he says, but all those 20 and above would die for their unbelief. And they did eventually. And so I think that's, that's kind of telling that 19 and under were not held accountable. Now, I believe the Bible teaches in an age of accountability. Uh, we don't put an actual number on that, but I think the Bible would teach that until a child, a young person, and I won't, I, whether I use words like children, teen, whatever I use, you know what I'm getting at. I don't think we can put a number on it, but until any young person gets to an age of understanding uh, their responsibility to God, their responsibility to others, having a conviction, a regret about sin, to be able to, to weigh and, and, and think about eternal matters, abstract things that you can't touch and feel and see and taste. I mean, until a, a child is old enough uh, to, to begin to grasp some of those concepts, uh, I cannot believe that they are ready uh, to make a decision, the greatest decision they'll ever make in life. Salvation is the most important decision we make. It's more important than who we marry, what vocation or job we go into, where we live, many, many other big ones we can add there. But nothing is more important than salvation. A friend of mine used to use this illustration. I thought it was a great one. He said, if your child had brain uh, cancer, and this is only hypothetical. We pray that is never your case. It never happens to you, but use this illustration. If your child had brain cancer and he or she was going in to have surgery uh, the very next day, you would want that brain surgeon to be so careful and cautious and meticulous and thorough. You'd want them to have a good night's rest the night before, to eat a good breakfast, to come into that, that surgery operating room uh, at their best, the best they could be, the top of their game, because there's no room for error in something so delicate as brain surgery. Well, here's the point. When it comes to something so important as the salvation of your son or daughter or my children now that are grown up and now my grandchildren that I have a burden for, there's nothing more important than their salvation. And why would I want to go slipshod and, and, and just kind of casual and wing it and off the cuff? No. When it comes to the salvation of young people, we need to be thorough and make sure we dot all our I's and cross all our T's. There's no more important decision. Now, back to the biblical positions, uh, reasons for my position, I should say. I have to start with a statement that I, I always thought gripped my heart when I began to think this thing through years ago about where I would stand on child evangelism and the salvation of children. There is not two Gospels. There's not a gospel for kids and then one for adults. We have to start right there. I hear churches and preachers and, and I'm sure well-meaning parents who think they can just water down and kind of lessen the gospel message uh, so that it'd be more palatable, so that it'd be more acceptable to their kids. You won't find that in the scriptures. That's not in the Bible. There is not a gospel for kids and a gospel for adults. One size fits all must fit all. And so we don't bring the gospel down to people's level to, to make it easier. We bring the gospel or bring them up to the gospel level by making sure they understand it through thorough teaching and exposure and so on. I have to add here that I'm not a fan of the uh, 
phrases or descriptions that call the gospel and salvation simple. There used to be gospel tracts. They're quite dated now, I agree, but they used to be called God's simple plan of salvation. I, I would never give out one of those. Because to, to, to call the gospel simple, to call salvation simple, is to, in most people's thinking, to say it's easy. We think of things that are simple as easy, quick, microwave, hit the button, it's done in 30 seconds. That's not the salvation the Bible teaches. It's not easy. In fact, I always think of this passage, let me go back to it in Luke chapter 13. This is, to me, a really compelling argument that the gospel was not meant to ever be simple and to be thought of as easy. Listen to what the apostles come and ask Jesus. In Luke 13, 23, Then said one unto him, this is one of the disciples, Lord, are there few that be saved? Now, that's a great question. You say, well, what's that have to do with being easy or hard? Well, a lot. If it was easy to be saved, don't you think more people would be? And if it was easy to be saved, I think Jesus would have said something along the lines that, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people saved because, you know, it's simple. But listen to Jesus' answer beginning in verse 24. Strive. The King James uses the word strive. That's a word that means to agonize. It means it's not easy. Strive to enter in at the straight or narrow gate. Same as he used in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. The straight gate and that leads to life, the broad way that leads to destruction. Same thought. He says, For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. There's that word many again. And so this idea that salvation is easy and is simple uh, really, I think, corrupts and perverts the gospel. And it's really the basis by which I think so many children are being pushed into making uh, easy decisions, asking Jesus into their heart, coming forward at a children's church or a Sunday school or, or with a pastor or some worker. Uh, and, and I'm not doubting the intentions and the motivations of the people. I'm not doubting the parents uh, who, who might be guilty of pushing their kids into, be, into salvation. I know what they want. I know their heart. Uh, my wife and I raised three kids. They're all adults now. They're all raising their own families. They're married and with children. Um, and I understand the burden of wanting to see your kids saved. But friends, we, want to, we ought to want our kids to be really saved. Not just some profession of faith they made as a little kid when they didn't even understand it. I've had more examples than you could, I could even count on all my hands and feet uh, to be able to tell you of people who have come to me in our own churches that I've been a part of who thought they were saved because they said some prayer at an invitation or in a Sunday school class when they were four or five or six or seven or whatever the age was. They were too young, let's put it that way. And they didn't even know what they were doing. They didn't know what they were even saying or believing or committing to. And then later on in life, they heard the gospel. They came under conviction by the Holy Spirit. They repented of their sins. They put their faith in Christ and they were saved. Now, what happened? Uh, for many years, they may have called themselves a Christian and they may have said they were saved, but they weren't and they came to know that. And so that's why we need to be so careful. Salvation's too important uh, a decision uh, to not think it through thoroughly. Now, there's no biblical examples of kids being saved, as I mentioned, so where are we going to go to? Now, think about a child's thinking process. Think of mentally how, how children are and how they think. A child can be led to believe 
in things like Santa Claus, we know, uh, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy. Can I go on and on or do I need to? You know what I'm getting at. A child is, is so easily influenced, um, persuaded by an adult, especially an adult they love and respect, a parent, a teacher, a, a pastor. And of course, uh, they want to please those people that they respect and love. And so, boy, when a, when a person like that comes along and it, it is just really pushing them to be saved, you know, you need to be saved and this is how you do it, of course it's going to be something a little child will, will latch on to quickly. But here's the problem. If a child who can believe in Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and so on, uh, if they can't differentiate between what's real and what's not, how are they going to really understand a God that they cannot see, uh, they cannot hear and touch and smell and taste? Uh, he's not right there like these other ones aren't. And then as they grow up and they learn that things like Santa Claus were all just a fake and, and so forth and all just something made up for an occasion to be special. And then all of a sudden, what are they going to think that about God and about Christ? Hey, things I can't see, things that are not right in front of me, I can't believe in because they don't exist. Boy, that's dangerous. There's a passage in Nehemiah that I always like to read on this line, and that has to do with this revival that happened in the days of Nehemiah and Ezra. And Ezra was the priest who began to read the Word of God. And listen to this statement. I want you to hear it. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation. This is Nehemiah 8 verse 2. Both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. So there must have been some that could not hear with understanding, of course. Infants, children. He doesn't put a date on it or an age on it, but listen, he's saying that those who came to hear the Word of God that day had to be of understanding. And he says, and, there, and they read therein before the street that was before the water gate, and he goes on and says, and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. So God cares about how we perceive and understand and take in His Word. Now, I've always believed that God would instruct us to teach children thoroughly. I'm not, I'm not promoting or, or supporting the idea of pushing kids away. Let me, let me just throw in a little personal illustration. All three of our kids that are now adults came to us at, at very young ages. I was a pastor all their lives, and they were around church. They were in, nurse, in the nursery the time they were babies and in church every time the doors were open. So it wasn't unusual to see them come when they were young. I don't know the exact age, six, seven, eight. They, they would come to my wife and I and say, uh, Mommy, Daddy, we, we want to be saved. What will we do? No, you're not old enough. No, of course we didn't do that. We'd say, hey, we're, we're so thrilled and excited that God's speaking to you and that you're starting to learn about Christ. And, and if they wanted to say a prayer, we'd say, go ahead and pray. We didn't stop them. But you know one thing we didn't do, which is so dangerous? We didn't give them false assurance either. We didn't say when they were six and seven and eight years old, well, now that you prayed this prayer, it's the, we seal the deal. Let's get you in the baptistry next week and baptize you, which is even more dangerous. Once you baptize a, a child, that seals the deal. They'll think they're saved the rest of their life. They won't even leave their heart open for the gospel. As one preacher always put it, they'll be inoculated. They'll be vaccinated from the true gospel because they think they got a little bit of it. And so that's a dangerous thing. So what we should do, and our church does, is we teach kids thoroughly. We want to give them all the, the information, all the exposure to the gospel we can, but we've got to let God do a work. Now, going on, 
mere words or just a prayer is not salvation. We've got to get away from that too. There's so many young people, even adults, going around thinking they're saved because they said a prayer. They asked Jesus in their heart or whatever. These, these statements are not in the Scriptures. They are. If we're going to be biblical Christians, we've got to get back to the Bible here. Listen to Proverbs 28, 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. See, prayer is not salvation in and of itself unless there's conviction and repentance and real trust in Jesus Christ. A Jesus Christ you can understand, that you could fully comprehend, in a, in, a, in a sense, His death, His burial, His resurrection. You've got to understand some things about Him, not just any Jesus, but the true biblical Jesus. See, prayer is more, uh, or salvation is more than just prayer. And salvation requires an eternal choice. It's a commitment. It's a surrender. I don't think most children are ready to make such a commitment and a surrender. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches about salvation. It's not, uh, it's not some just casual decision you make. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Here's Moses, and he says these things to Israel, but they're for all of us, and it's about the choice we have to make. Listen to how important this choice is. He says in Deuteronomy 30, 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Man, he's telling people this is a life and death decision. You mean to tell me a, a five-year-old kid can make that decision? They don't even know what they want to have for a snack later tonight after dinner. They don't even know where they're going to go on their, you know, on Saturday or how they're going to use their summer vacation yet. I mean, these are, these are decisions for people who really have to be able to think through things. Now, let me deal with uh, the idea of are there examples of young people in the Scriptures being saved? I already said there's none of kids for sure. You will not find any example where you can put an age as young as three and four and five on any child in Scripture being saved. There are two great examples of what I want to call young people. I'm not going to put an age on it, but I'm going to show you that I think the Scriptures teach that in both these cases, one of them for sure, because we'll even have the age that he was. But one of the greatest stories of, of a child coming to salvation, and I'm going to call it a young person, I think he was at least a teenager by the time he was saved, is the story of Samuel. Now it's found in 1 Samuel chapters 1, 2, and 3. I would really urge you to go and read that thoroughly because I'm just going to give you the highlights. But if you study Samuel, remember his, his mother Hannah could not have a child and she prayed to God and God miraculously gave her this son and she gave him to the Lord. She took him to Shiloh where the tabernacle was and she gave him to the high priest, a man named Eli. And he began to serve Eli. But if you go through chapter 2 and 3, especially mostly chapter 2 and into chapter 3, you're going to see some time passes Every year she goes and makes him a coat because kids grow out of things year by year. So every year on the feast days when families had to go to the tabernacle to observe the special uh, feast, the holy days of Israel, uh, she'd bring him a new coat. And it says that Hannah later has five other children. Now there's nothing in the text to indicate that, that this is out of chronological order. These are years passing and it, it keeps saying, and the child grew and ministered unto the Lord. And then finally in chapter 3, it says that he comes to Christ. 
in verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. That's chapter 3, verse 7. I'm convinced, and you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to prove otherwise, I challenge you to do so, that Samuel was not at least a teenager, perhaps 15 or 16 or even more. When you look at the time span that can be brought into chapters 2 and, and up to that verse in chapter 3. So Samuel's a great example of salvation, but he cannot be used to teach some little kid being saved at a very, very young age. I'll tell you another great story of a young person that was saved, and this is a tremendous story of the young King Josiah. Josiah, his story is found in 2 Chronicles 34. Let me read about this. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Imagine a king being eight years old at uh, 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 taken over the reins of, of Israel when he's only eight years old, of, of Judah, actually. Now, here's the key, though. He starts out at eight years old being king. They made him king because he was the son of the former king, and that's how they did it. The firstborn son took over. But here's key. He's eight years old, right? But in verse 3, listen to what it says. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. Now, let me, let me do the math. He's 16 by now. He's not three or four. He's not five or six. It says he was yet young at 16, and he began to seek the Lord. And in the 12th year, now he's 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places. So let's just say, for sake of argument, I think... Josiah is saved there at 16 years of age. As far as the Old Testament would teach us salvation, it said he began to seek the Lord. And then he began to put in action his convictions by removing the wicked things out of Judah. And so this is a, it's a great example. So my question is, why the rush? I always ask uh, parents about this who, who may be really... Uh, burdened and pressing about their kids being saved. And I'll say, I'll say to them, why do you think you have to rush it? I mean, can you imagine the kind of theology we are believing in? The, the, what do we believe about God when we think we have to push children into being saved? Do we think God's up there just looking forward to condemning them to hell? Do you think he's just waiting anxiously to zap them to hell uh, before they get old enough? So that we got to beat them to the punch. Oh, I got to get my kid saved before, you know, before he goes to hell. Do we believe in a God that wants to send kids to hell? That's looking forward to it? That's trying to make it happen as quickly as possible? That, that seems to be the theology by people who are pushing kids to be saved at young ages. Hey, God wants your child and my, my child and my grandchildren to be saved more than we ever would. God loves the world. He loves sinners. He sent His Son to die for sinners. And I think it's a horrible theology to believe that God would send kids to hell if we don't hurry up and, and get them down the aisle for, at the invitation and we don't get them to say this prayer quick before God judges them. Remember this truth, by the way. At whatever age you think kids can be saved and are being saved, you also have to believe that God can and does send children to hell at that age. Let me repeat that because this is such a crucial point to make. Say you believe kids uh, can be saved at three and four and five years old. I, I told you, I've heard missionaries, I've heard preachers, I've heard people use that uh, at the beginning of their testimony. Well, if you're going to believe that God 
would save a kid at three or four or five, okay? That's one side of it. But then to be consistent with your belief, you have to also believe that God sends three, four, and five-year-olds to hell. If he didn't, then why are they being saved? What do they need to be saved from? If a, if a person's going to say, well, I was saved at five years old, well, then that means and God saved you from hell and he would have sent you to hell if you'd have died at five. Hey, I think about all these poor little children that have cancer and, and other diseases. Sadly, it's, a, of course, a, an outcome of the fall. It's because we live in a cursed world where, where sin brings death even to, even to children. But I'm telling you, I wouldn't want to go to a parent of a, of a young child and say, well, I'm not sure if your child went to heaven or not because, you know, did they get saved? Did they, did they say the prayer? Well, that would be horrifying. That would be a horrible approach. The Bible teaches that children, until they come to an age of, of accountability where God holds them accountable for their sins, they are safe with God. David lost a little baby. And you know what happened? After the baby died, he got up and quit praying and seeking God. And they said, well, what's going on, David? He said, hey, I can't, uh, I can't save the child now, but I'll one day go to be with that child. And that's in 2 Samuel 12. You can read it, but see, David believed what I believe is true, that all children, all those, until they come to an age of accountability, are safe with Christ. So why, why, the, why the rush? Why the pressure? Why do we think we got to manipulate? I think, friends, we need to take this whole idea of, of child salvation and be very thorough and very cautious about how we do it. I went a little long today. I'm going to close, but this is just a burden on my heart. So if you have children, grandchildren like I do, please pray for them. Yes, teach them. Keep them in a good church where they're learning the Word of God. But don't pressure them. God wants them to be saved. He won't let them die and go to hell. And for, and, and for forever, please don't give them a false sense of assurance. If they pray a prayer, fine. Let them pray that prayer. Let them pray 100 prayers if they want to. But don't then tell them, hey, you're saved. Let God. The Bible says, now the Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's not my place or anybody else's place to guarantee anybody's salvation. We ought to let the Spirit of God do that. And He'll do it in the right time. When a person's converted, they'll know it. They won't need mom and dad or pastor or teacher or anybody else to tell them they're saved. They'll know it. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's my life verse. Well, good to be with you today. Remember this motto, conviction for truth, compassion for people. God bless you.